morning, church. Listen, y'all can say what you want to, but all the more reason when it's 10 degrees outside, I'm counting down the days to spring training. Can I get a witness? Some of you get that, some of you don't. That's okay. We all need Jesus. It's fine. But listen, if you are joining us today, you will know that this is our third week in a series that we've been doing, looking specifically, a little bit different than we normally do, but looking at Scripture as we look forward to, look ahead to, the future of our church in regards to church leadership, in regards to church governance. Now, two weeks ago, our text was Acts chapter 6. The narrative in the book of Acts in the beginning church where the 12 apostles bring in the first of what we call seven deacons. And this becomes the basis for our distinction in the two offices of elder and deacon. Now last week, to seek the guidance of God's Word, we dug deeper into the qualifications of an elder, but also more importantly, we looked at the job of elder and its job description, what it is, what role that an elder has in the church, preaching the word specifically, praying over the flock specifically, and then praying through church vision and the direction of the church as well. Now we also made point that this would be the purpose of an elder board here at Grace, while allowing staff, staff pastors and ministers to continue in their role and stay out of their lane so they can minister properly. For the elders to stay in their lane, being an advisory board for the staff and for the pastor myself. Now on the flip side, we also talked about the role of the church. The church as a body, what they have in regards to an elder, the church gives accountability. The church is charged with upholding the office. It doesn't matter who fills it. You've got a job to make sure that the office is maintaining the integrity that it should have based on the Scripture while giving double honor and respect to those that have been put in place. For today, we're turning back to the same text that we had last week, 1 Timothy chapter 3, and immediately picking up where we left off last week in verse 8. So if you want to go ahead and begin turning there, feel free to do so. But this is where Paul will pick up his description of what it means to be a deacon. While you're turning there, just like we've done every week, let's return to our foundation. What type of church leader do we want? One that embodies Mark 9.35. Jesus, sitting down, He recalled the twelve and said to them, If anyone wants to be first, he must be last and a servant of all. Jesus, being the proper servant leader Himself, didn't just instruct the disciples to act in this way, but he also mimicked, emulated the behavior that he was looking for as well. Putting his leadership, putting his position, his authority aside, we see his leadership in action all the more in John chapter 13 when he washed the nasty, dust-covered, dirt-encrusted feet of these same disciples that were just arguing over who among each of them was the greatest. He washed the feet of the one 
who would deny him that he even knew him later that night. He even washed the feet of the one who would betray him, have him arrested and eventually put to death that evening as well. Our prayer is that we raise up deacons whom, like Jesus, will perform the dirty jobs for His glory as worship. So for now, let's go to our text, 1 Timothy chapter 3, beginning in verse 8. We'll read down to verse 13. Here we go. Deacons, likewise, should be worthy of respect, not hypocritical, not drinking a lot of wine, not greedy for money, holding the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. Verse 10, they must also be tested first. If they prove blameless, then they can serve as deacons. Verse 11, wives too must be worthy of respect, not slanderers, self-controlled, faithful in everything. Deacons are to be husbands of one wife, managing their children and their own households competently. For those who have served well as deacons acquire a good standing for themselves and great boldness in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Let's pray together. Oh God, we are searching. We are seeking. We put everything on the table as Grace Baptist Church to make sure that any leadership we put in place is in line, is following the Word that You have given us. Lord, as easy as that sounds, we recognize our sinfulness and how we take things to the extreme or how we don't take things serious enough. Lord, we seek Your guidance and Your wisdom. And Father, we pray in the name of Jesus that You would bend our will towards Your will. In the name of Jesus, we pray these things. Amen. Now before we even start breaking down this Scripture, let me remind you of one aspect that we mentioned last week of all the many qualifications that we've just read, that we also read, and there's a laundry list of them from last week as well, of all these qualifications, their same idea may be worded just a tad differently, but they're also done this way on purpose, but there is one major distinction. But even before we say that distinction, understand, in, in the way that mine says, likewise, beginning in verse 8, more than likely yours may say, in the same way. The idea, make sure that you understand whether it's qualifications in verses 1-7 through 7 for an elder or qualifications 8-13 through 13 for a deacon, the same are kept for both. The qualifications for an elder are the same as one for a deacon. It doesn't mean that you get off on one because, well, you can get by with this one but not the other one. No, 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 no. You are kept in the same regard. The only exception to this rule, dating back to verse 2, what we did last week between the two offices, it states specifically that an elder or an overseer or a pastor, whatever you want to call it, should be able to competently teach. Everything else, just about, flows right in line. 
any qualifications attributed to a deacon would, of course, go towards an elder as well. They're not exempt. The same behaviors, essentially, are mentioned. Now, we're still going to go through them because there's aspects to pull out of each of these that's different than the ones that we read last week. Now, one, being worthy of respect. Same thing if you go back to verse 2 as respectable. No different. Not hypocritical. I love that one. Some translations say it this way. Do not be double-tongued. One who speaks the truth the first time. Men, y'all look at me. There's no other way to put it. Based on what this says. You can't speak double-tongued. Or I'm sorry, you can't speak single-minded of one tongue with a bottle in your hand. There's a witness there that we lose. Not going to dwell on it. Moving on. Verse 9. I love this language too. Paul says a deacon should be qualified by holding the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. Let's put it this way. If one is following the Holy Spirit and allowing the Holy Spirit to humbly lead him, there should be no lack in confidence of one's faith. If you know that daily the Holy Spirit is driving you and directing you and leading you in humility to follow Jesus instead of your own ways, you've got confidence in your faith that your faith is working, it is moving, and you are being changed, this process of sanctification, from where you were when you started in faith. There should be faith. He should be grounded in his faith while growing in his faith. Verse 10 gives us a little something new and also something for us as a church to think about as we begin reworking constitution and bylaws to get to this point that we want to get to. No question, as mentioned before, a person holding one of these positions should not be a brand new convert and there should be a time of testing. There should be a time of evaluation or even a time of being trained by the church to serve in this role that they're about to take on. I'm totally in agreement on this. This is the responsibility of us as a church. If we're going to have leaders, we just can't expect them to come walking through the door. We might as well take what we've got here and start building up those that are within. Crazy concept, I know. But there are times that we as a church can even hamstring ourselves in this process. Let me give you an example. As of right now, where we sit, a man must be a member of Grace Baptist Church for an entire year for even before even being considered for the role of deacon. Now to be fair, Scripture doesn't give us a timeline. I can't tell you what a better timeline is. I can't tell you that this isn't a specific. I, can't I can tell you that this isn't specific in Scripture, but I can't give you a specific timeline. I think Scripture doesn't do it on purpose. But an entire year at times can limit us and even limit the pool of men that we are taking from. That's not something for us to even solve today, just something to stick in your back pocket for us to continue. Here we go. Now, moving on. Paul also highlights again the importance of the structure of family when it comes to choosing leaders. Now, here's a preface. Wives, specifically, are mentioned in verse 11. Covered it before? We're not going to skip past it too quickly and 
if we do so, and you've still got questions, look, send me a carrier pigeon, call me, email me, text me. We will work through it. However, feel free to come with or ask for clarification. Don't let this be a stumbling block. But based on our understanding of this text, but also our understanding of Genesis, our beliefs as a part of the Southern Baptist Convention, our complementarian views on men and women, this verse in verse 11, even though it mentions wives, it does not outline the allowance of female deacons or elders in the church. Now, going back to Genesis, Adam is given the position of leader of the household. Eve, that does not mean that she is less than or inferior to Adam in any way, but the ramifications, the consequences of that family and every family since then falls on the head of, starts with Adam and every man going forward. As we've said it several times throughout this series, we believe that church governance should follow the model of the family that was instituted in Genesis. Does not mean, however, that women do not play a role. Specifically, what verse 11 is referring to are the wives of potential deacons or elders. Ladies, now it's your turn. Church, listen to me. Hear me. I'm going to put it bluntly. The statement should not be, my husband should be a deacon or an elder. But a wife also must evaluate herself as well. And if the wife of an elder or deacon candidate is not able to live up to the qualifications set down in Scripture as well as those expected of her husband, then the husband is disqualified from serving in that position. This takes us to verse 12. Almost a carbon copy of verse 4, the first part of the text referencing how a man's family is evaluated, just as he is being evaluated for a position as well. Brings up the same question we've hit on several times, and I'll quickly go through it again. It bears repeating. Does verse 12 disqualify a man who has been divorced? Universally, no. I do not believe so as long as a man shows a process of repentance and sanctification since that time. That would be viewed, that would be evaluated during the evaluation process. The time that he would be trained up if he is deemed fit to potentially serve as a deacon or an elder. And one can make the argument, hear me out, this isn't gospel, but one can make the argument that the church in general has grown so accustomed to putting more emphasis on has this man been married more oftentimes than once, they put more emphasis on that and less emphasis on is his wife currently qualified for the same role that the husband is about to take. I think we've had our priorities in the wrong order at times. All that being said, Paul has written a lot for us to chew on. There's a reason that 2,000 years later, we are still having these conversations and going back to these verses as the church progresses. But the whole purpose of it, Paul kind of wraps it up, we're not to lose sight of the goal. Those who have served well acquire a good standing for themselves, but also a great boldness 
of their faith in Jesus Christ. Here is a promise for deacons who serve well. This isn't prosperity driven, but it's not far-fetched to believe as it says that God favors, God blesses, and God even remembers the one that is diligent, the one that is disciplined to follow through on what may seemingly be the most menial of tasks within the body of church. We know this because it's Jesus that said, for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did you see me hungry and, and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in or without clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. So for the rest of today, let's further dissect this position of deacon. Same way that we unpacked elder last week. Point number one, what is the practical deacon? The practical deacon. This first point, taking it just in the same way that we did the elder, we're going to outline the role that a deacon plays according to Scripture. Therefore, if it's in Scripture, we want the role of deacon here in the Bible to mimic, to look the same as it does at Grace Baptist Church. So Acts chapter 6, just what we read two weeks ago, it gives us the clearest, most evident way in Scripture that we see the deacon used. He is deployed by the elders. And it's incorrect to say that a deacon is below an elder, but it is more correct to say that this is a position that is secondary to the elder. Because an elder sees the needs. The church has the resources to meet those needs. And the deacons are the carriers or the carrier elders of the needs while the elders continue to pray, continue to push vision, and continue to collect other needs that arise. Nowhere else in Scripture is it so clearly highlighted that a deacon should serve the practical needs of the church. It's January, and I've already told you that I'm looking forward to baseball season, so I have to use a football analogy right now. And I hate using that, but I'm watching a bunch of it because there ain't nothing else on TV at this point. But imagine, if you will, the role of the quarterback as the elder. The elder gets everybody in a huddle, and it's the quarterback that outlines the play. And when the play is called or outlined, every other person that's in that huddle has a role, has a position, has a part that needs to be fulfilled. So then everybody lines up, the elder stands behind the center, and he hikes the ball, and then he drops back, and looking out over the landscape, the elder, the quarterback, is going to do a couple of things. He's either going to hand the ball off, 
to his running back. He's either going to look around and see who he needs to throw it to and then pass it to somebody down the field. The elder is the one that sees the need. The elder is the one that presents the need. And then it is up to the deacon to execute the need, to execute the vision that is within the church. That's the role. That's the purpose. That's the practicality of a deacon. Now, moving on. We're going back again to the deacon's wife, part two. Yes, it seems harsh that so much is expected of the wife of a deacon or an elder. But let's be honest for just a second. And she ain't in the room, so I can say it. It is no more scrutiny... No, 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 no. It's no more scrutiny on an elder or a deacon than you already place on my wife. Ain't that right? Now, she's strong enough and she can take it. She also knows the expectations. But let's think about it. Let's rewind the script about two and a half years. And if I'm being interviewed by a search team or I'm presented to a church and you're finding out how I do my song and dance, but then you find out this information about my wife, you find out that Sarah Beth Clayton has a checkered reputation at our last church. If you find out that she has a poor record as a teacher in Bartow County, if you figure out that she's known as being argumentative, or you know that she's a gossip, and boy, there's already one strike against her judgment because she married me. You wouldn't have thought twice about not calling me to be your pastor. And you know what? You'd been well within your right. And just as we said last week, that is your accountability for the position that you give to me. Now, I don't expect you to lower expectations on her because those expectations, to an extent, are warranted. That's just what we've read. But I am suggesting that we make it a more common practice to make sure that a biblical background and a biblical expectations are also placed on the wife of other elders and other deacons as well. You hold them in the same regard that you hold my wife. Going forward, as we put men before the church, we will present them not by themselves, but with their wives as well. Because even though the ladies, the wives, will not hold the position, they will be charged to uphold the position that their husband is taking on in the church. Why? It goes back to Genesis again. Then the Lord God made the rib He had taken from the man into a woman and brought her to the man. And the man said, This one at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. This one will be called woman, for she was taken from man. And this is why a man leaves his father and mother and bonds with his wife, and they become one flesh. If we believe in the sanctity of marriage as we do, whatever standards are set, for one spouse that holds a position in a church 
the same standards are for the other spouse as well because they are one flesh. Third thing, the deacon's witness. Last couple of verses, Paul issues that challenge or he dangles the carrot for what a deacon should try to gain. This sounds funny, what a deacon should try to gain. But here's, here's the deal. We immediately think of that and we think of self, but a deacon is not trying to gain self at all. There is no self-recognition, no self-appointed attention, and a deacon does not need exaltation in any way, shape, or form. A deacon's goal is to be the physical embodiment here at Grace Baptist Church of showing Grace. If you want to know what it means to show grace, you ought to be able to look at a deacon and see it. The men in the local church who will lovingly do the dirtiest of tasks with sleeves rolled up and zero fanfare. If you've got to perform a task and immediately go tell someone about it, you may not be the type of deacon we're looking for. If you're wanting to become a deacon because you believe... Some big changes need to come to Grace Baptist Church, and I'll be the one to implement them. You may not be the one that we're looking for, and if you find that in Scripture, please come find me and show me. I'll do a whole sermon on that. We're looking for humble men who are strong enough not to take credit or seek the position. Big idea? Here's straightforward. Deacon's role is to assist the elders. Go ahead and show them, gang. Deacon's role. I want to make sure they get this. Assist the elders. Carry out the practical. Focus on the physical needs of the church. Assist the elders. Carry out the practical. Focus on the physical needs of the church. Elders, focus on the spiritual needs. Deacons, focus on the physical needs. And it's amazing how well the two of those fit together. So much has been said. Jokes abound everywhere when it comes to the hypocrisy of deacons and deacons' meetings and how they are run and there's even specific examples of prominent pastors, names of people you would know that have been physically assaulted at deacons' meetings or even church conferences. We could all probably name churches where deacons assume the most power and they're the ones that steered the direction of the pastor even to the point of kicking out pastors. Nowhere. Nowhere. Does the Bible state these roles or give that type of authority to a deacon? As a matter of fact, that is in total opposite, total lack of following Scripture. Deacon's meeting, if you want to see how, how I view it, I, I'm going to give you how a deacon's meeting should look. I, I've got it in four quick things. We're going to run through them real quick. A deacon's meeting. You get together, you say, hey, how's it going? How's it been? You've been great, I've been good. Okay, let's go ahead and get started. Here's the first thing that we do. We celebrate 
what we've done, what we've accomplished since the last time that we met. You celebrate the needs that were met within the month prior or however long it is and how God orchestrated it. Second thing, okay, now let's analyze the needs that have been brought to us by the elders, by other church members. Miss so-and-so needs this done at her house. Well, we really need this done at the church. We really need to take care of this. We really need to take care of that. And I promise you there'll always be a laundry list long enough to make sure that we have needs in the church and reasons for deacons to meet. Okay, then the third thing, as a group, you start to strategize. You start to schedule your next steps. Okay, well, you live close to this lady and you've got these tools so you can handle this. Well, you guys can meet here on this day and Kyle said he'd bring you lunch and y'all going to take care of this. And then we're going to do this and take care of this on this day and that's going to be that. Hallelujah, amen. You press forward, you schedule, you plan, you strategize, and then what do you do? You pray for God's guidance and provision that man in these circumstances, whatever you're getting into, by the God, grace of God, if I can spit it out, we'll be able to follow through on what we've been called to do. And then you get out of Dodge. Rinse, wash, repeat in the same way that Jesus washed the feet of His disciples. With that being said, we'll ask the band to go ahead and come up. And what's the big question? What's the big why? Why are we putting such an emphasis on this? Why am I spending so much time and spitting flying everywhere? Why do we aim to make sure we get this right? Because our aim is to follow our aim is to be obedient and follow the example laid down by Jesus Christ in Scripture. Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. Our devotion, we follow. If He is Lord and Savior, we understand that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We do this as a church, collectively, as a whole, to make sure that we continue to be a part of the process of being in the movement of God's kingdom. But we also do this individually. What good are we as a church individually if we do not surrender into a relationship with Jesus Christ, following what the Word of God says? If you're unsure, if you've ever given your life, uh, lots of different things, if you've ever given your life, if you've ever received salvation, if you've ever gotten saved, you can put it a thousand different ways. If you've ever never surrendered to Jesus Christ, if you've got questions on what that even means, come find me. Let's have a conversation. I'll show you in Scripture where it lays it out for us. Do not leave here with questions on eternity. That's our purpose as a church. Now, for the rest of us, for those of you that are as confident as we read about in Scripture in your faith in Jesus Christ, listen, apart from all this that we're talking about up here, there are a lot of spiritual burdens in here today. And I know because you've hunted me down and you've told me about them. How do we become a church that seeks God's favor? We surrender these spiritual needs these spiritual burdens to the feet of Jesus. And you do it today, and you do it this afternoon, and you do it again tomorrow, and you do it the day after that. But if you want someone to see a devotion to Jesus, how willing are you to 
physically come to one of these altars. Make an altar out of your chair. Say, God, this is what I'm going through. and I'm not going to make it unless You're the one that gives me the strength and leads me through it. Be real. Be authentic. Put everybody else aside and seek Jesus in this moment as we come to a response. Let's pray together and then Mark and the group's going to sing. Oh God, I say it again to You, Lord. Our aim at Grace Baptist Church is to follow You. Lord, anything that deviates from that is disobedience. Oh God, as changes are made, as conversations are had, as leadership is put in place, Lord, would You direct our steps, make our path straight. We believe though You've done so to an extent, God, through how we interpret or are able to interpret Your Scriptures, which is only a gift from You. Now, Lord, in faith, we follow through in obedience. God, make us an obedient people. Not just as a church, but individually. Through the many ways You call to us and lead us, may we surrender. Lord, for the physical needs of the church, for the health needs of the church, for the familial needs of the church, God, Comfort them. Strengthen them. Guide them, Lord, to correct decisions. Guide them to correct doctors, nurses, specialists. And let the peace that surpasses all understanding guide them as they go. Thank You, Lord, for the reminder that You love us. That You demonstrated Your love for us by sending Jesus to die on a cross. Lastly, Lord, we pray that if anyone be here today that has never received salvation through Jesus Christ, that today could be the day. Lord, we continue in worship in this time. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to Grace Baptist Cartersville podcast. If you would like more of Grace Baptist Cartersville, make sure you check out our GBC Young Adults podcast. Also, make sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and our services on YouTube.